How many of you read this week into 1 Corinthians? Think about where we were. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the body of Christ. That every part within the body is needed. Chapter 13, talking about the motivation for using our gifts is love. That the reason that we exercise our gifts is love. Not so that we can brag, not so that we can do something else, it's so that we can love one another. Chapter 14 talks about the employing of those gifts in an appropriate manner so that Jesus Christ is glorified. Seems rather appropriate that we're in this section of Scripture, isn't it? And chapter 15 is the heart of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. As we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what it means to have faith, and the implications of that faith for our lives. That's what we will be talking about today. Chapter 16 goes into understanding the reason for our faith and why it's important to give to the mission of God. Why do you believe what you believe? How does it change you? Or should it? I'm wearing a shirt today that I I bought a few years back. My wife, back in 2012, we're very into the Marvel movies. And so back in 2012, my wife, when she could drive, went out and bought a shirt and planned this whole date night to go watch the premiere of the Avengers. I think we have seen maybe three or four premieres in our entire marriage. So this was like a big deal. She went all out, knew that we were excited about it. But we have Avengers t-shirts. We uh, had, uh, uh, she bought this tablecloth that had the Avengers on it. We had this themed out meal. It was, it was fantastic. It was great. And then she had gotten a babysitter for the night. And then we went and watched the Avengers. And we got, we were the first ones seated in our theaters. We got to sit anywhere we wanted. It was like, you talk about perfect date night. It was the perfect date night. And a number of years later, this shirt kind of came into being. And I bought it a few years back. But the interesting thing about this shirt is as I've worn this shirt longer, the more I have... I don't know. I've always wanted this to be a good conversation piece so the people see it. For those of you who can't see it, these are all the Avengers sitting around, and there's Jesus in the middle, and there's a little dot, 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 and it says, and that's how I save the world. And I always wanted it to be a nice conversation piece. So the people say, that's a cool shirt, and hopefully us talk about it. But the more that I have worn this shirt the more, unfortunately, I have become convinced that many in the world, and I dare say many Christians, those who would call themselves by the name of Jesus Christ, treat Jesus no different than the other Avengers that are on this shirt. That Jesus himself was 
a pardon to Captain America, truly the first Avenger and the first superhero. That he has the power to inspire and to inspire change, but it's just a good story. And unlike all the other figures that are on my shirt right now, the difference between Jesus and Captain America and Iron Man and the Hulk and all of these other people who are on there, Jesus is the only one who's truly a historical figure. Everybody else is truly just a nice story. What would happen and what should happen concerning our belief in Jesus Christ? That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read this in sections because it's important to understand both what we believe, why we believe it, and the implications of change in our lives that should come as a result of it. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I'm the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. But the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Very succinctly, Paul puts forth what many people believe is an early creed of the church dating back to just a few years after Jesus had ascended. That briefly gives the gospel... That Jesus came, that he died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised three days later, according to the scriptures. And then he had a number of appearances to people, to Peter, to the twelve, to over 500 people, some of whom have died, but many are still living. Which is basically saying, guess what? Check it out. Don't just take my word for it. And then Paul gives himself at the very end saying, and then finally to me as one abnormally born. And this is a gospel we preach, whether it's them or me, this is what you've believed. 
And this is what we still proclaim today. Is it what you believe? See, one of the things that this chapter does that I don't think any other religion really goes through in their Holy Scripts is talk about the consequences of what it means if this, our foundation of our belief, is not true. Because it changes everything. There's a book that is out by uh, Craig Rochelle called The Christian Atheist. And the premise is very simple. Is that we, we believe, we say that we believe that there is a God but live like there isn't one. And therefore we are the Christian atheist. There's no difference between us and the world around us because our hope isn't necessarily in those 11 verses believing that that is true. There are huge implications toward that belief. If we start in verse 12, Paul begins to unpack that. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are are to be pitied more than all men. And skip down to verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptized, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? And if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. And so we begin to see the results of what happens when we stop believing that Jesus is raised from the dead. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, how can the Corinthian believers have started this rumor that this hasn't happened? No, Jesus isn't raised from the dead. And Paul says, wait a second, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, you have crushed everything you say you believe. Because if the dead is not raised and Christ isn't raised from the dead, then you are still in your sins, for it is that reason for which Jesus died. And there's a certain number of things that kind of happen as a result of that. As a matter of fact, Paul would go on later in, this, in this, uh, these verses to talk about baptism. If you're being baptized, what are you doing? You're burying yourself like Jesus in baptism to be raised to walk in newness of life, correct? 
That's what we're, that's what we do. And I'm so glad because this year, guess what? We've seen about a half, we've seen not a half dozen, about a dozen people being baptized. Praise God. It's been amazing this year to see so many baptized. But to understand that you are identifying with Jesus in death and you are identifying with a raised life to be lived for Jesus. But if the dead are not raised, that doesn't mean anything. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, none of it matters. As a matter of fact, Paul would go on to say, he says, you know, those who have died in Christ Jesus are lost. And we are found to be false witnesses of God. And you are still dead in your sins. And the interesting thing about this chapter is it begins to break down the difference between how Paul lived his life and how the Corinthians were living their lives. Because we've been reading a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. Wouldn't you guys agree? Just a really quick recap for you. Because this is kind of the ultimate thing that Paul is pointing to as he comes to 1 Corinthians 15 by way of reminder, this is what we believe, this is what we proclaimed, this is what you believed. This is the foundation of everything that we walk in. So let's take a look at what was going on. Remember chapters 1 through 3 are all about divisions in the church. I follow Cephas, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ. Chapter 5 is about sexual immorality with a man having his father's wife, his stepmother. Chapter 6 is about lawsuits in the church where people in the church are going to court to sue their Christian brothers and sisters because they're not getting along with each other. Chapter 7 is about marriage and how to treat one another. Chapter 8 is about idols. And, ha- and thinking about idol worship and how that was all involved in that pagan society and how do we treat that among the believers. Chapters 9 and 10 talk about the rights of an apostle that, that Paul was being denigrated and being shown to be less than that. And he says, am I not an apostle? Chapter 10 goes on and talks about the history of the people of Israel. And how we can learn from their example. Chapter 11 talks about women in the church. And how there was discord as a result of things that were happening within the church. And that was spilling over. Not just for the women in the church. But in the way that they were celebrating communion. This is a messed up church. Wouldn't you guys agree? If this were an American church. You know what would have happened? Let's go off and make about four or five different churches. By the way, it's not even an option. You'll notice that in the scripture, right? That's not even an option. We just made it an option for ourselves. Choosing when and what bodies to be a part of based upon personal preference rather than fidelity to the word of God and a shared commitment to Jesus Christ. That's a messed up church. And the difference between the two is when you look at Paul and you look at verse 31 when he says, I die daily. 
I die every day. I die to myself. There are things that Paul would have liked to have lived for, for himself, that he did, that he, we chronicle. As we continue through the epistles, we're going to see Paul mentions this over and over and over again. And he talks about all the accolades that he had because of how he was living when he was living for himself. Now he has to die every day to live for Jesus. I have to die for what I want to do to do what God wants me to do. It's not the popular thing. It's not the easy thing. It's the thing that I have to do because of what he's done for me. Because that sacrifice is real. Because Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Emmaus and he mentions it here. As one abnormally born, I'm telling you the truth. I'm living it out. This is why I live differently than everybody around us. And then he mentions Ephesus. If I had to fight wild beasts in Ephesus, and you can read about his account in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. He stays there two years. You have Artemis of the Ephesians, that's there. And Paul is so effective in his proclamation of Jesus, that it is hurting the sails of the idols that are there for Artemis that leads to a riot or a near riot in Ephesus concerning him. And he's already been persecuted about a dozen times before that. In all of these other places where living for Jesus was not convenient, was not culturally appropriate, was not right. And he's getting on to these Corinthians because guess what? They want to appropriate the parts of Jesus that they like and discard the parts that they don't like. And it leads to a hedonistic lifestyle. Because in the end, as Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, as they are already proclaiming, when you kick out the resurrection of Jesus, all of these dominoes fall with it. And what all you're left with is a hedonistic lifestyle that says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Nothing matters anymore. If the dead are not raised, nothing matters. Go off and live your life however you want. C.S. Lewis has talked in his trilemma concerning the idea of Jesus being either liar, lord, or lunatic. Not necessarily in that order. But he said, you know what? Either Jesus was a liar equivalent to that of the devil of hell. A lunatic compared to that of a man who had called himself a poached egg. Where he's Lord of all. This idea that he's just a teacher hasn't left that up for debate. And he didn't intend to. See, Jesus can't be an inspirational figure like that I'm wearing on my shirt. Because an inspirational figure can simply be discarded when it's inconvenient. Verse 20. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Christ is raised as the first fruits. You know why? And we talked about this when we talked about Mark and we talked about this as we've gone through the Gospels. Why is he the first fruits? Because he will raise from the dead and never die again. Lazarus, who was raised, died again. Every person in Jesus' earthly ministry who was raised died again. Every one of them. They were raised to show that he had the power over sin and death so that they would put their faith and hope in Christ so that when he had sacrificed himself for our sins, he was raised incorruptible in the same way that he promises you and me at the end of the age. But that means something because it's either true or it's not. And if it's not true, it's not going to change anything in our lives, right? When we die, it's just over. And if we live as if it's not true, then we will change nothing in our lives. Why? Because we really don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that doesn't produce any change. Why look for things above when you don't believe that things are going to be from above? And the difference is as stark as the difference between the life of Paul that we read about, that we see testified through the scriptures, that he juxtaposes between himself and the Corinthian believers that we look at. Look at the sacrifice of Paul and the difference Jesus made in his life because he had seen the risen Christ. And the Corinthian believers who had become so very worldly denying even the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. 
The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a spiritual body, there's, if there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The, man first was of the, man, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness from the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been closed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Immediately after all of this, when they start asking about the resurrection, as, as he anticipates their questions, he kind of gets on to them. How, how do you not know this? Don't you know that unless something dies, we don't, we don't see it rise to new life? And he gives an example from nature all around us. And he shows us through the scripture what happens there. The problem is that the Corinthian people, much like us today, those of us who would call ourselves Christians, not saying you're not, we know worldly things so much more than we know godly things. That's why he gets on to them. See, the shirt represents more than just, hey, look at all this. I was a comic book buff. I mean, obviously, we went and watched the Avengers movie, but I, I grew up collecting comic books, looking at the stories that were in them. How many of you are same as me? Comic book buff? Anybody? Just me? A few of you guys out there? Let's put it in different terms. Sporting buff. How many of you are sports buffs? Come on. How many of you are lying? Love sports. My Braves won yesterday. Woohoo. Could tell you all about the Clemson Tigers. Could tell you all about the Marvel 
superheroes that are right here on my shirt could tell you about the DC ones that I really like because I like DC better than Marvel. The problem is many of us know those things a whole lot more than we know about Jesus. We call ourselves Christians. And Paul says, I say this to your shame. Because we say we believe in Jesus, but we don't know everything about Jesus. We don't care to know everything about Jesus. We only want to know just enough about Jesus to get us by. And expect somehow that's going to change our life and the life of the people around us. How are you going to convince anybody that you're different if you don't know that much about Jesus? Now, Pastor Mark and I, over these last five years, have been on a mission to get you guys through the Word of God. And it's not just a one-time thing to say, hey, we got you through the Word of God, you're good to go. No, it's to get you fired up about Jesus, about being able to see Him in every verse of Scripture all the way through and say, oh my goodness, how wonderful this God it is that we serve. How can I not live for Him? And many of us are just happy knowing the bare minimum. You want to convince me that he's your Lord and Savior. How does that change your life? Like I said, Paul's wrecked when he comes to know Jesus. So wrecked, everything about his life has changed. I consider it rubbish. How many of you would throw your life away as it pertains to right now, where you're at, for Jesus, if he asked you to, would you do it? And I know that there are some who absolutely would, but some of you, there's a big question mark. Because this is what the Corinthian believers were dealing with. They can't get along because they're more worried about their earthly selves They look at spiritual gifts in an earthly way. They argue with one another in an earthly way, all to get one up on one another, rather than trying to say, how can we glorify Christ so that the world can know what Jesus has done for us? That is the message that should be displayed from our mouths and our hearts and our minds. Is it? You know, over the last couple of weeks, we had a very important decision being overturned in the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade. And I want to tell you something. Seeing that has been a cause for rejoicing. And those those people who would say, guess what? We shouldn't rejoice over that. Don't understand what the scripture says. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices with the truth. We have truth that has won out, at least on the federal level. It hasn't changed things anyplace else. But you know what has happened? is We've seen all types of memes, haven't we? If you've been on social media at all, if you've looked anyplace, you've seen all the arguments. Maybe you've been involved in some of them yourself. How to respond. Maybe some of those people have mistakenly taken on an argument that isn't supported by the scriptures. Maybe some of those people are trying to say that abortion is an actual good. I've seen both. And, and the hard matter is this. 
There's a part of me that just gets angry overseeing those things. How many of you are the same way? Raise your hands if you are, because I'm just going to be honest with you. That there's anger that sees within my soul. And we hear what other people say, right? And every once in a while, you'll hear this this voice of, of reason that these people are not Christians or they're mistaken. And therefore, if they're not Christians, they don't have a biblical worldview. How can we expect anything less of them? It doesn't make it any easier. And at some point along the way, if I truly realize that these people don't know Jesus Christ, that anger should be turned to prayer. That these people need to know Jesus. It's not about changing their mind on Roe versus Wade. It's about changing their heart about who Jesus is. But I'm never going to do that if I don't believe that he truly rose from the dead and died for my sins. If that isn't a reality for me, I will tell nobody nothing about anything. And the irony is what we're seeing in evangelical America right now is less and less people talking to others about Jesus for fear of judgment, for fear of everything that the world might throw at us. So we just keep our mouths shut. Oh, we might pray for them quietly or privately, but not enough to put ourselves in harm's way. And I'm going to ask you a tough question. Can such a faith save them? Paul said he had to fight wild beasts in Ephesus. We read what happened to Paul because he was convinced of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want to know why evangelical Christianity doesn't grow? It's because deep down, we have forgotten what we say we're convinced of. Because if Jesus has risen from the dead, his agenda is more important than anything the world has to throw at us. No matter what it costs us. And the funny thing is, the world doesn't attack our faith based upon Jesus. It attacks our faith based upon the word of God. All of the things that you guys see concerning faith is usually like, oh, you believe in a talking donkey, referencing Numbers and Balaam. Oh, you believe a talking snake in the Garden of Eden. This is why I can't believe in your Bible. Well, you know what? I find it very easy to believe in a talking donkey and a talking snake because of Jesus. And if I read of the miracles, which we just did in Mark and in Matthew not that long ago, and in Luke the year before, and in John later on this year, we're going to read about Jesus walking on the water and stilling the wind and the waves and showing the world in every way, shape, and form who is truly its master and Lord and Savior. His resurrection of the dead pales all those things in comparison. God who created the universe and everything that's in it, and you're worried about a talking donkey? Really? And it's not even the real issue. 
Because the real issue is whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because if I can believe Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going to believe about all the miracles that he did. If I believe in all the miracles that he did, that God can do anything, then all of these other miracles, which are just side issues, are small things in comparison. But people try to distract us, get us off on what they think is ridiculous when our foundation of our faith is because of an empty grave. And the one who died for us for our sin. And we got to bring that conversation back around to him. You know why? Because a lost and dying world will never change until they encounter Jesus. You want to start seeing change in your family? Start teaching them about Jesus every day. You want to start seeing change in your workplace? Start talking to your coworkers about Jesus when you get those opportunities. You want to start seeing the schools change? Then start talking about Jesus in these places. And if it costs you something, then the world will know that Jesus is worth it. Because our home is not here. Let's stop living like it is. It's one of the distractions of the blessings that we have. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything else in this world is going to pass away. Everything. Job, title, accolades can be gone just like that. Only that which remains in Christ will stay. You and I need to start living like we believe that. Then we won't want our way anymore. We'll want his way. Not just in our lives, but in the lives of everybody around us. I think Jesus will make some huge changes if we do things that way. Don't you? Would you stand with me? We have Pastor Mark here for just a little bit of time. I have been blessed to have him co-pastor with me for 14 years now. And I know, I know 100% that he would say to you the same thing I'm saying to you right now. It ain't about him. It's about Jesus. That's why today's message was about Jesus. It's the only thing that lasts. How are you living your life? Are you living it your way? On your terms? Are you angry at the world around you and not seeing a need for Jesus? Are you not heartbroken? I remember when I was growing up and I first came to Christ, I remember looking, going to the grocery store and I would look at the eyes of people and I would see them as people who were in need of Jesus when I first came to Christ. I've got to admit, I struggle with that. I, I, I've lost some of that in these culture wars that we've been caught up in. 
that we start looking at these people as our enemies. They may be enemies of the cross of Christ, but they're not our enemies. We stop sharing Christ to a world around us who needs to know, no matter how they react to us. Stop seeing these people and being broken over their lostness because we're comfortable in our salvation. We're comfortable in our way of living, whatever it is. We stop counting the cost. I think today is a good day for us to rediscover that. Let's pray together. God, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus that you will help us first and foremost to evaluate whether or not we believe these words that you came to earth, you died on the cross for our sin, that our sin separates us from God, that we were going in a trajectory that is leading us to hell apart from God forever were it not for your sacrifice on the cross. That we believe that you died, that you were buried, that you were raised physically and in immortality, imperishable, incorruptible, the firstborn among all of the dead. That this is our hope, our future to be conformed into this image of Christ. That this world is not our home. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will evaluate whether we truly believe that or not. Or if we put too much stock in this world and all that it gives us. I pray that we would stop looking at anger, in anger, with such derision of the conflicts of this world, and yet, just as Jesus did in front of Jerusalem, as he broke down and cried and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those who have stoned the prophets and those that I've I've sent to you, how I've longed to gather you together as a a mother hen gathers together her chicks, but you were unwilling. God, may that be our heart in reaching others for Jesus Christ. May it not be said that our anger is driving people away. They may mistake our love for anger, and that's on them, not us. But God, may we be heartbroken over those who don't know Jesus. May we go to the store. May we go to our families. May we go to all of these other places, our workplace, and the mall, and every place else where all these crowds are, and see people the way that you see them as precious people that you died for if they would come and believe you and what you've done. It's the message, it's the commission that you have given each one of us. And it will only happen if we truly believe that there's life after this death. That you died on the cross for our sins. That our future is with you in heaven. And everything that happens on this earth doesn't matter. Except for the things that you say matter. Please help us, O Lord to be your people. And with that conviction, O Lord, change our lives and the lives of people around us that they may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.